Hey guys, it's me, Sean. Now, before we get into this episode of Can't Knock the Shuffle, and I have to keep my voice down because I do have reason to believe that I've been followed and am currently being watched. I, I just have a quick favor to ask of you. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast. And while you're there, why not leave a glowing, positive, descriptive review? It's the only thing I'm going to ask of you for the next hour or so. I, I'm, I'm about to provide you with a behind-the-scenes deep dive of the music by an artist you either already know and love, or maybe this is an artist that you're about to know and love just from listening to the show. So please rate, subscribe. I appreciate you guys so much. And now we're going to get into the show. Peace. Welcome to Can't Knock the Shuffle Season 2. I'm your host, Sean Kantrowitz. If you're anything like me, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume we have this in common, you love finding out how songs are made. The stories, the details, the hidden gems, all of it. Here's the thing. Most artists typically only get asked about a handful of their most popular tracks. Not only do fans like you and I want to hear the stories behind all of the songs, but I long have suspected that the artists themselves are pretty eager to share some of the untold stories too. That's why I created Can't Knock the Shuffle. I take an artist's entire catalog, put it in a playlist, throw it on shuffle, and then we talk about whichever songs are randomly selected. It's like live liner notes with an algorithm in the driver's seat. This time around, I'm talking with rapper and producer Quelle Chris. After first making noise on a national scale through some early collaborations with Danny Brown, Quelle kicked off a prolific solo career of his own, including acclaimed albums such as Instant Country with producer Chris Keys, his 2018 album Everything's Fine with his wife and fellow polemoth Gene Gray, production work for some of indie rap's finest, and most recently contributing to the score for the film Judas and the Black Messiah. Most Can't Knock the Shuffle conversations are pretty loose, and this one with Quelle was especially loose, but still definitely a great one, and we kicked off our talk with him basically admitting that there was a good chance that he might not remember a lot of the details about these songs. Yeah, I got like fucking uh, adult, ADD, inattentive, so I got like the worst long-term and short-term memory, so I'm like, I'm probably not, even, I'm not going to remember shit, but I'm like, fuck it, let's just go for it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I spent like 15 years being a raging drug addict and alcoholic. So then like, you know, it was already here and now it's like, boo, 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 boo. so didn't help. let's see, didn't, let's didn't see help. what I remember. <laughs> I mean, it seems like a great cocktail for something. I don't know what, what the results are going to be, but like, <laughs> let's let, I'm committed to doing this journey with you, Quelle. So let's check Rick it out. Rick Ross is going to be in every story. You wouldn't be the first. No, I, actually, that would be your first time. Song one. And the first song is from 2018. It's from the Everything's Fine album that you did with Gene Gray. And the song is called Osh, featuring Hannibal Burris. What I meant, said what I meant. I meant. Oh. Oh. Shit. Oh. Shit. It's for my diamonds who find like they know. My wise head still grinding the grouse. Oh, 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 yeah. It's for my honeys, but money that own. Blow niggas get money and grow. Oh. I ain't got no fur coat, but I got a book bag full of Merlot. I'm lying, I ain't got no fucking Merlot. 
at the time that you put this album out, it was sort of kind of a satirical commentary on the state of the world. And 2018 seems damn near idyllic now by today's yeah, standards. Yeah, no, that was a that was a beautiful time. The fruit tasted better. The sky was bluer. That was a, <laughs> that was a fantastic time. Um, yeah, you know, and it's funny because honestly, you know, humor or sugar with salt is just kind of a, a natural go-to. I mean, maybe we're, we're generally kind of like tongue-in-cheeky type people, you know. But uh, like, I don't, I don't even really view that album too satirical. Really, it's like you know, like Gene's talking about. Her, fucking dad and fucking people dying and we're talking about all types of fucking terror. It's like really a terrible album. It's, it's very dark and sad. Oh, sh- that's, a, that's a dope one because it went through different phases during that uh, beautiful year of 2018 when everything was fine. Initially, I was trying to get Earl on it and Earl would have been where Hannibal was. And I don't know what happened. I think he just, either he like never responded or like for like good a good few albums my timing was like he would always like the day after i turned in the album he would hit me and be like yo you still need those verses <laughs> I'm like ah shit i just turned it in which happened with this one too but um you know as like uh time kept going because there was a lot of people who were trying to get on this album we were trying to get a uh, pasta news on it he was supposed to be on we were trying to get him on orange purple green orange yellow <laughs> gold, gold purple, purple orange yeah gold purple orange and uh but this one was supposed to have earl and then i ended up reaching out to hannibal or gene did i can't remember how that how how that happened but uh one of us reached out to him i think you know we we we're friends he always was trying to bar up on something we were like yo bar up on this joint and he was like okay cool and i think he was out in town for a little while for like a show so he was like yeah i'm gonna come through let's bar up so it came through. We got a bottle of Jameson. Everybody got very drunk that night. I guess like in the past, like a lot of different joints that Hannibal's been on, the other, whoever else was on the song, like I think like, I don't know uh, if this is supposed to be top secret, but I feel like like Mike, Mike open Mike pinned Hannibal's verse for like the joint that they did. And we were like, no, fuck no, nah, dog. Like, here's a piece of paper. Here's a pen. You know, you writing your own shit. Yeah, you know what I mean? Get in there and bar up if you're trying to bar up. So uh, he did. Like, he, you know, took it, took, got a, got a good portion of it done. He was like, yo, let me just go in there and get this off my chest real quick. He went in there, got off his chest, and then, you know, wrote a little more, went in there, got that off his chest. And the best part about that verse is knowing that, like, when you go back and listen to it and knowing that, um, you know, by the end of the night, said bottle of Jameson was definitely gone between the three of us. Uh, you can hear him get progressively drunker <laughs> throughout the joint, <laughs> which is which is beautiful. There needs to be like an infographic video where you see like the the Jameson bottle like lowering and like yeah. the, the, the X's on his eyes getting bigger and bigger. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, um, but no, he killed that. He killed that. He came through and murdered that. And, um, and yeah, so that's a, that's like a, a, the general story of that song. I think we made it. Is it the first song on the album? It might have been like the first song. I think it's number three. I'm looking at the track listing here. So it's early in the album. Yeah. Yeah. What's the, what's the second one? You got the um, one. My contribution to this scam is the second one. Uh yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, because I all right, so that's what it was. I was gonna try to make it the 
the first song after the intro. Right. And Jane was like, Dad, you can't have a song with someone else on it as the first song. And I was like, the rules, the rules. <laughs> but I like that. I always like starting, I, I, I'll start an album with someone else rapping, you know what I mean, for the whole thing. But uh, we uh, compromised and I, I made it the, the second song. <laughs> Let me ask you this. There's, you mentioned the guests who are on the album, people you were trying to get. And there are like probably, it looks like there's just as many, maybe not just as many, but there's a significant amount of comedians who are on the album as well as traditional, you know, musical artists. I've always sort of had a theory. I think rap has to be a little funny to be good. I think if you take the humor out of hip hop, it can suffer. What do you think about that theory? Yeah. I mean, I think that's pretty true. I mean, I'm not going to say that sans any humor that is is uh, dead in the water. You know what I mean? There's like a lot of just not funny ass shit that's cold as hell. Like, like you know, like old Ice-T shit. Like the Ice-T, that motherfucker made no jokes. He was just like, everybody's dying. My mother's on crack. The hustle's on the block. Like, hey, that nigga told no jokes. But, um, but, you know, then there's like shit that, like even like if you listen to like shit that technically would be considered hardcore shit like i mean even like a method man you know the the the, the first jam the, the jam the m-e-t-h-o-d man shit you know and um you know he's in there the hey 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 like fat and i mean like there's like there's there's all the humor in there at the same time it's, it's still some hard shit so yeah I, I i do think humor is good i mean the idea of like metaphors and you know similes and things like that i think I think it inherently is somewhat sort of predicated on wit. Yeah, yeah, wit. Yeah, where you know maybe maybe and maybe not as much for the the purpose of uh, getting a, a gut laughter out of you, but there is just a natural kind of witty tongue and cheekness to to coming up with a really good bars. You know what I mean? And so yeah, I I wouldn't say that it's it's a mandatory, but. I think the, the a lot of the, the the best have that kind of kind of thing because, like you said, it, there's a there's a certain amount of wit that that's involved, and the wit and humor tend to kind of be bed, bedfellows, you know. You had mentioned you thought that reflecting on the content of this album in your eyes, it's maybe not as satirical, and that it just seems. <laughs> I think you said earlier that it's like just kind of terrible, all of the <laughs> the things. Mm-hmm. But I remember at the time. It kind of seemed to, to that point, perhaps maybe your most like praised work, or or at least something that was very exceptionally praised. It wasn't just like in the landscape of independent hip hop. There's a lot that comes out, but this was something that seemed to be like kind of catching a lot of people's attention. And that's 100 percent because of Gene. <laughs> well, okay, well let's talk about that. I mean, do you think that that do you, do you honestly think that is, or is that some of that hip hop wit that you're injecting right now into your uh, your response? Um, I mean, no, I, I would say that with with uh, wholeheartedness. I mean, you know, I wouldn't say 100 percent. I'm not going to, you know, sit here and pity party myself. But I mean, there is the combination, a lot of the production, a lot of the ideas. I mean, we we definitely uh, came together as a as a unit for this. But I, I definitely feel like a lot of the the boost it, that it got was, I think, the, the run at the time. So like I, that was coming off of being you is great which i think um you know in comparison to all the albums before that for me that one really kind of resonated with people so you had like an expanding fan base 
off of that going into everything's fine if the next album were just me i think it would have received a certain amount of fanfare but i mean when you're talking just emceeing alone uh production here you know for what we're working what's not i mean you know gene's presence physically and sonically i think is really was really like a big boost for that and and also you know for a lot of the a lot of people for whatever idiotic and lazy reasons they kind of felt it kind of was like jeans just like fell off the face of the earth or like you know she's not making music anymore even though it's like she's been putting out things like every freaking year right so i think that also uh, brought a lot of attention because people were like oh shit like jeans back a lot of people uh like tolerated me being on the album they're like there's this new jean <laughs> album and she's got this she's got her husband on there you know, uh, you know, his team dragged him along. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think really Gene's just raw talent and presence was a big part of why that was. But then also there was, you know, on my end, kind of the build up and stuff uh, jumping off of being you is great. And then all that aside, all uh, self gratifying, gratifying aside and wife gratifying aside, it is just really it was a really great album. And. I think topically really, really timely. At the time, everything was for uh, layman folks starting to not look as fine as it as it did. You know, the, the, the coming off of the Obama run, the the two seasons of Obama show, and you know, everybody, you know, you started to see people be like, "No, oh, racism doesn't exist," and you know, and, you know. Shit started happening and people started being like, oh, yeah, things things do suck. So I think the satirical angle of the album was very comforting to a lot of people because they were able to hear something that was like talking about how fucked up everything was, but not in um, not in such a, a, a militant P.E. Immortal uh, technique. Immortal <laughs> technique type yeah, yeah. way. Right. Exactly. Much, much love the PE and, and the motor technique, but yeah, you know, people. I think people wanted to be able to listen to something and and be like, yeah, fuck all this shit, but not uh, also feel like they have to go, you know, take a long, long cold shower afterwards, you know. Song two. It is from 2016. Your instrumental uh, lullabies for the broken brain album, and the track is called Sicko. Where was your head at when you were making this project, uh, Lullabies for the Broken Brain? That's a very good question. I'm uh, I'm just going to go off of the title and assume that my head was in a very bad place. <laughs> it was mighty broken. Um, I think uh, I can't remember what I was wrapping up first, if it was Innocent Country 1 or that. I'm guessing it was Innocent Country 1 which was like four years in the making. I like started that album when me and Chris first met. I don't think like I wanted to write 
you know. I wanted to do something a little more instrumental. It uh, felt easier, you know, even though that's always kind of how I go into things. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, this would be easier. And like months and hours later, I'm like over there stressing over every little detail. Stress finds a way. Doesn't it always <laughs> fucking find a way? But lullabies, yeah, I know I was in one of my um, self-hate periods when I kind of go through I'm like, everything fucking sucks, and I fucking suck. And I made, like, a, 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 a instrumental album that I felt represented that a state of mind where you're just like, eh, I need a companion piece for the insanity that's going on in my head, you know? The soundtrack. I need a soundtrack for this for this uh, craziness. And throughout the album, and I, and I don't remember exactly where that particular sample came from. I was like, you know, if we had all, if we had more time or something. I was like, I'm sitting right here. I can look it up. Let's see. Let's see if we can find it while I talk. But I, you know, I kind of was diving through a lot of the the places that I generally go to for comfort. You know, I was running through like a lot of my favorite point and click adventures and just a lot of like random B movies and. B horror, C horror, and D horror, little F horror, and just a lot of places like that for for sounds and, and music that I kind of wanted to play around with for the for the project. Specifically, Sickum. If I'm not mistaken, I think that clip, the Sickum, comes from maybe Full Throttle. Now I might be wrong. The Lucas Arts pointy clip, Full Throttle. I hope it was Lucas Arts too. Somebody's gonna listen to this and be like. Poser. Uh, it is Lucas Hearts. I have I, I just verified it. <laughs> verified. Verified. Uh by the <laughs> way, you just uh unlocked something in my brain because I was very much into the Lucas Arts point and click games. Yeah. But I, I don't think I've actually thought about them in several years. So right now, if i if you catch me like cheesing like a you know a game <laughs> here, it's because I'm remembering like Day of the Tentacle and Monkey uh, Island. That's and, a good one. Yep. Monkey Island's always classic. Yeah. I had um for whatever reason, whatever computer we had, the sound card didn't work with Day of the Tentacle. So it wasn't until like probably like a good decade later that I actually heard the voices that go with the game. I just right. played it. The music would work. None of the dialogue would play. So I just had to read it off. That's a little fun fact about me and my relationship with that. But yeah, so I, be, I believe that's the sickum itself is, is from Full Throttle, which there's a couple other Full Throttles throughout the album. Hopefully no one from LucasArts is listening to this. They're actually are the sponsor of the show, so I, I'll have to edit all of this out. Um, it's a shame. <laughs> to, to say the, the least and the most at the same time, I, I really love that project. And I'm glad that over time, I feel like more people have been coming back and finding out about it. I've really been on the fence as of late as my next project is going to be a couple vocal ones that are kind of in the air. I started one with Alchemist, like back right before Trump became president and been like adding songs to it over the last four or five years. I'm like, between like, should I do that? But like, or should I do another instrumental one? And I think really I'm in a place where I want to do another instrumental project. But at the same time, I love lullabies so much that I'm like, ah, like, 
like, do I want to feel like I have to top it? Do I want to just go a whole different direction with it? So lullabies has been in my head lately. I would imagine, though, that it's like, it's not, if the music, which I, I would assume for you, and then especially instrumental music, is sort of a document of where your head is at, unless you're feeling particularly fucked up as you were when you made lullabies, it would probably <laughs> sound different, right? Oh, well, yeah, yes. Oh, no, I mean, naturally and sonically, I'm usually like the idea of topping something is more putting yourself in the shoes of listeners because I'm never going to compare. Like, I don't, everything, every project I make, I always like better than the last projects. So I know I'm going to love it, but I don't want people to hear it and feel like they have to, compare it to lullabies however i would approach it next it's hit me in like little ways you know there's been a couple moments where i've been like ah yeah like i think you know like sometimes i'll sit and i'll work and i'll have to do something let's say like someone wants to buy some production or someone needs some production uh moments like that will happen and they'll kind of force me to kind of dive in to a lot of what I have instrumental wise and things that I've made and that I just kind of have filed away. And I, I'll stumble across certain things. I'll be like, Oh wow. Like, Oh yeah, that's the, I like, I'll sit and I'll make some, I'll make like a couple ones where I'm like, Oh, that's the direction. But so far, like nothing has like fully pulled me in to being like, this is the, the feeling that I would want to go for for the, for the next one. But I, I keep getting tempted. So there's going to be another instrumental album coming up. I don't know if it's going to be the next one, but today's Quale believes it might be. It's from 2017 from the album you mentioned earlier, Being You Is Great, I Wish I Could Be You More Often, and the song is called Birthdays. First place, I seen the fork in the road. I chose the third way. All sucky, ducky, quack, quack, sunshade and dark rays. Life hand me cherries on top, bull whipping ice cream. You can't keep it together, you don't like nice things. What are you here for? Why you ain't here more, man? I'm always down for the ride, I need to steer more. Say what you want, genius savants. Is it the anti birthday anthem, maybe? Yeah, yeah, something like that. It's uh, <laughs> so Swarby had sent me a handful of beats, and I started writing over a couple of them. Yeah, I started writing over one called "About Girls," one called "Airplane Mode." These are the name of the beats he sent, and one one was called "Birthday," being the uh, creative <laughs> mastermind I am. I wrote a song about. Birthday is over. Before you get into it, because that brings a question to my mind, uh, do the labeling and the names of tracks that are sent to you, does that, I mean, it obviously did in this case, but does that typically have any sort of influence? And I wonder, too, for you as a producer, you're sending beats, are you reverse engineering when you're sending somebody beats, like what you're labeling them? Doing some David Blaine type shit, like a little... <laughs> yeah little mind trick like let me guess the number and i'm secretly like six 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 um uh yeah no no (laughs) and in most cases no so this is this is really a rarity i think like if we if i wasn't standing in the room with paint on my hands my general 
answer would be like, nah, uh, the name doesn't, but I got paint on my hands in this circumstance. So yes, clearly from time to time it does, but uh, not when people send me beats, but some sometimes my own beats, the name of them tends to drive sometimes what I'll, I'll write about over them when I go back and, and, and sift through them. And I don't know if that's because like whatever I named it was like the feeling that I was already. So it's like a little like a little memento note for myself to remember what I was feeling when I uh, made it or not. But um, a lot of times when, yeah, when people send me beats, uh, the, the name usually doesn't end up driving it. But yeah, in this case it did. And, and for a great outcome, this is a fun song. It's kind of sad. A lot of the songs on the album are very uh, like self-deprecating. I don't know why. I don't know where I was at at that time, but I was definitely in between a lot of uh, chapters in my life. So maybe just kind of that idea of being like, yeah, you know, everybody's like, oh, yeah, you're growing up. Like, what's the one thing everybody celebrates and is super excited about when it happens? And for me, at least, I'm like, eh, it's just another fucking day. You know what I mean? I'm the same way. I mean, yeah. I, I don't I don't know that it's... I, I do sometimes wonder how many people genuinely feel that way. And there sometimes feels like there's a lot of pressure to suppress that as mm -hmm. well. But then I don't know if I feel that way because I'm like damaged in some way. And you're just naturally supposed yeah. to be really excited that it's your birthday. Yeah. We're probably damaged. Um, <laughs> <laughs> something happened to us and it's going to take some therapy to find out. Um, but no, yeah. So, so the, yeah. So the song, I'm, um, I don't, I don't, I remember where I was when I was putting it. I was living with a uh, Cavalier. It was my brother and uh, an artist that I, work with often um that's the professional tag for that so people be like that cavalier oh. i was um <laughs> i was living with cav at the time in brooklyn i remember uh, immediately taking the beat to ableton and I, I either pitched it down or slowed it down a bit the original one's a little faster and um it's also like it's like 50 seconds long so, you know, I'm sure like I, I might have either hit Suave directly or hit him after I, I extended it. And like, I was like, yo, are you, you cool with me kind of freaking this a little bit? You know what I mean? And I'm sure he was like, yeah, sure. Go ahead and just remember you got to pay me for that shit. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I got you. <laughs> I did, I did a, a finally eventually pay him for it. I paid, it for, paid him for it super late. And I'm sorry about that, Suave. The chorus is probably the first thing that came to my mind. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I remember that song, like, that song came to me quick. I probably finished it with, finished writing it, if anything, within that hour or two of uh, sitting down with it. So, yeah, some, sometime in 2014, I sat and penned this song that ended up being one of the singles. Right. You and a bunch of uh, kids at a birthday party. Yeah, that was awesome. You know, that was uh, the initial idea was kind of just based around just everything, like just a really long, slow cut of just the, that general sitting at the table and rapping with the cake and the kids, uh, other kids at the oh, like, table. Like a single shot, you're saying? Yeah. yeah, just like one long shot. I came to Dunce with the idea and we met up. Uh, Dunce Cap, who 
uh, did the video, but is also a great producer and MC in his own right. And if you have some time or don't have some time, make some time and go check out Dunce. Oh, that Dunce. That Dunce. So, yeah, Dunce Cap uh, directed the video. Dunce, like, he, he goes for it. You know, he also did, like, uh, Buddies for Me, um, the video for Buddies. Uh, I can't remember if he did any other ones. That's that classic quality memory at work. But Dunce would be like, no, let's do this, and let's do this. And that's, you know, he always has really awesome ideas, and not only does he have awesome ideas, he goes for them. This was our first time, and uh, his time, first time, and my first time, which would make it our first time. This was our first time hiring children which we found is a very weird thing to do. But it, I like the, the, the initial process of it because like it, it's, it's hard to not feel a little creepy just getting on a computer and uh, being like, yeah, that kid looks good. That's a good looking kid. <laughs> like That's a kid I want uh, to put on film. Yeah, there's, there's creepy undertones. And then yeah. I, I produced a commercial once that primarily was all kids. So yeah. once you get past that, the creepy component that you sort of like are self uh, assessing, yes. there's yeah. also the, uh, the whole notion of the day of there is sort of an adage that I think exists for a reason where they're like, don't shoot with kids or animals because it can be hard to corral kids, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So was, was that the case when you guys made that video? Well, that's why, yeah, that's why I was getting like, the initial thing was like, oh yeah, this is kind of weird. But then you're like, you get over that and you're like, that's stupid. It's not weird. And people hire kids all the time to do uh, awesome kids shit. So you get past that. Uh, you get to the day of uh, filming, you know, all the parents show up with their kids. In our case, and, you know, maybe luckily or maybe this is just, you know, how it turns out most of the time, like, all the kids were awesome. Like, all the kids were great. They were like, wow, professional. You know, they we had a blast. They were like coming up with ideas themselves. We were like, fuck it, yeah, you just run the show. The parents were cool and like, People made like lifelong like business uh, and friendships in there. Like, there's a couple of kids from the video that still work together all the time and stuff. And it's like this was awesome. And we had we got pizza and everybody was excited and they ate pizza. <laughs> and no, it was like great. And then there was like one kid that was like kind of an asshole. And I was like, yeah, that's even like you gotta have at least one asshole kid. And like. Yeah, it was, it was just a beautiful, it was a beautiful day and a beautiful shoot. And then afterwards in like classic, at classic Paramo, we all like drank and smoked weed. And then, you know, like it was, it was, a, it was a great, it felt like it was a real birthday party. And I don't know if that comes through in the video, but I mean, for me, like even going back and looking at it, I'm like, yeah, that was like a really fun birthday party. It might have been probably the most fun birthday party I've had before, you know? I mean, a birthday party, for a birthday party to work, the fact that it is actually literally someone's birthday seems like a minor technicality. You, if, yeah. you, if you just assemble all the components and it's not somebody's birthday, I think it still counts. Yeah, yeah, no, it is very true. It's very true. Like I, I filed that away as as a birthday, as a, a personal birthday party, and, I, and I'm one hundred percent sure it was not my birthday, nor was it anyone's birthday in the room at the time. It was your uh, thirty something and a half uh, birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is from twenty twenty. 
you're also a producer, as we spoke about, and this is from Homeboy Sandman's Don't Feed the Monster album, and the song is called Walk by Faith, produced by you. Yeah, it's hard to shake the thought disasters coming next. When things get grimmer than they've ever been. The only way it seems like I can win is to walk by faith. The times when I can't see, I believe in God. God believes in me. I walk by faith. A, a perfect match, in my humble estimation, in terms of he's somebody who has so much character and. As I mentioned earlier, your beats and your production kind of oozes that same kind of character. How long was the process of you guys uh, working on this album before we get into the song? Technically, it was <clears throat> years. There's been a, a lot of like back and forth between me and Sandman. Let's say about like five years ago, let's say like 2015 or something. It, you know, Sandman started reaching out to me, being like, yo, like, yo, let's, let's do some jams, you know what I mean? Let's work on an album. And at that time, I always felt like, in the stories I've heard on Sandman, I was like, he's gonna, he, he, he would 100% hate me. You know what I mean? Because, you know, because like, I heard he's like super healthy at the time. Like, I heard he would be like, like no cursing around me. And, not, you know what I mean? I heard like all types of like, maybe true, maybe not stories about Sandman. And at the time, me, I was like, you know, debaucherous. And, you know, I was just like, and I cursed like every fucking other word. And so I was just like, there's no way. But I've always respected Sandman's work like like crazy. This sounds like the premise to a sitcom. Like, yeah, they're right. the odd couple <laughs> in hip hop and hilarity ensues. Tuesdays on CBS. <laughs> it, I mean, it really was. It really was. Um, but you know, we 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 tossed around the ball on on doing some joints together for a while, primarily because of me and the way that I operate. We just never would get around to it. Hollering at him about you know hopping on uh, being you is great for uh, the the joint pendulum swing uh, that Alchemist produced, and that that shit was butter. So I was like, cool. Now we finally got this ball rolling. But you know, still nothing <laughs> happened. <laughs> Uh, like I said, most li- most likely because of me, because Sandman is like really on. Like Sandman's like, I'm gonna do something. He's gonna do it if he says the minute and second and millisecond that he's gonna do it. He is going to do it at that minute and that second, that millisecond. And me, uh, you know, again, you know, ADHD and shit. Like I'll be like, yeah, this is getting done today, and like three years later. Asterix. Yeah. <laughs> on, on, on a day like today. <laughs> <laughs> on, a, on a day just like today. It's going to get done. But so anyway, like uh, time keeps going by going into maybe like 2019-ish. Your old Drew and I are still kind of hammering out this project that we had started that never came to fruition, unfortunately. But um, a lot of the songs from it have surfaced in a lot of different places over the last couple of years. In that time, I was like feeling very producery. Sandman was like reaching back out about doing one. I think I was also like trying to start one with Elzai and we had got a couple songs in. Going back to how Sandman works, which is like 
fucking beautiful for someone like me who could be so scatterbrained. Out of out of all those uh, projects, you know, like I had sent, you know, however many of the beats to Sandman, and it was like within like two minutes in my mind, like he had sent them all back. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, these are the ideas, you know, on the joint. He'd be like, he'd be like, yo, okay, I'm right here. This is where the chorus is going to go. So like, just let this play out for like another four bars. And then he'd come back in with the verse. I was like, oh, this is great. So I was like, this is going to happen because like just the, the physical chemistry for it is perfect because like I need to be hands-on. I love being hands-on. Uh, I love uh, the process of, of bringing everything together and finding the texture and the flow and the feel for everything. But like, I, I'm not great at just like being always like involved. Like I, my albums have to feel like what I consider the perfect friend, like a low maintenance friend. That's like the album process for me has to feel like a low maintenance friend. Like I can check on it once or twice a week. You know what I mean? Think about it all day, love it to death. But like it doesn't all, I don't have to be fucking like holding his hand all the damn time, you know? So we started like crafting jams and stuff between uh, the three of us, me, him and Drew. Like there was a lot of talk like, yeah, like we, let's all like hit the road and uh, so on and so forth. So as um, I think Sandman was throwing together a couple runs, he had uh, reached out to me and uh, was like, yeah, like I want to know if you want to do the second half of this uh, run that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, started with him in uh, Arm and Hammer. Uh, I mean, of course, I was like, yes, of course. Yes, of course. I love, uh, I love doing shows in front of humans. I'm leaving out a very key thing. Between that time, we had actually met up, you know, and did like the, the classic uh, rap, like, you know, come, come over, uh, bring some beats, you know what I mean? Let's play some beats and so on and so forth. So I came over there, you know what I mean? We chopped it up. It was very stepbrothers-ish, like, you know what I mean? Where, and I mean, a lot of this is, you know, and I, and I tell him this, I told him this, and, you know, I'm open about this, but a lot of this was from my perspective because, like I said, I, for whatever reason, I just felt like Sandman would be someone that would despise me. But that was all, mostly, that was all internal, but also around that time, you know, I was really starting to slow down and, you know, turn a different leaf and around that time Sandman was like starting to like smoke weed again and like cuss a lot and songs again so it, it was like it was like we had just somehow uh life had brought us both to this point where we were very eye to eye and I was like man like I really I, I came home and I told you I was like I really vibe with with uh saying like it was just it was a really like good meeting and I, I felt like he felt the same way so like after that then the ball just really started rolling on the album I think I you know left the beast with him he started sending more joints then we you know did a couple shows together but then we went on that uh run together and being on the road together either like you guys become like instant uh best friends and buddies and bond over everything or like you absolutely despise someone and you're like oh i once this tour is over i will do everything in my power to never see you again right and i just i really you know for a lack of like better 
words are less uh, less strong words. I really fell in love with, with Sands. Like, I just really, I really got him. And I think, you know, vice versa, we really had a chance to really get to know each other, you know, over those years, but especially from that time, you know, 2019 going into 2020 and so on and so forth. I think we, uh, we really had a lot of opportunities to be to get get to know each other very on a very personal level and um on a very open and vulnerable level and i say all this to say that i think that plays into the album a lot where it's not so much just like a the album where it's just like a I just threw some beats and he was like yeah I'm just gonna rap over it and you know just do whatever songs I feel like he felt comfortable rapping about certain things and my presence you know what I mean because we had had opened that door of uh, conversation and uh, communication and understanding of each other so how long did it take to make that album it, it took like way too long but i think also just the right amount of time i had him on the on the show the last season although he also insisted that he not be billed as homeboy sandman and he was uh, an angel, yeah, angel. Or visitor mm-hmm. yeah 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 um yeah. but you know we talked about that how it was a very personal album did you feel like you were kind of digging in like a bag like a homeboy Sandman bag or were these just sort of like beats and compositions that you could have gone anywhere, but they, he just happened to sort of flock to them. The initial some odd songs that were written, which like, you know, and I don't know if he told you this, but like a lot of the songs when we first started them, like one of them, actually, I believe it's the one that the, the first song um, trauma uh, was initially like a song called like motherfucker where he was like motherfuck this motherfuck that no, motherfucker yeah. this mother you know what i mean so like the process and uh, how much we change from the start of that album up until the time is pretty crazy just in and of itself but so a lot of the songs that first grouping of songs were off of those first beats i sent to him and also those first beats when we uh, hung out for that, that first time officially, we went on our first official rap date. <laughs> and um, those were ones that I already had. I, you know, I kind of brought them to cater to, but also at the same time, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not much of a caterer. It's like, this is what I have, this is what I do. And he's coming to you because he wants ostensibly your sound. Exactly. But then uh, going forward, yeah, there were, there was a lot of, uh, like, as I was making more beats throughout those months, you know, I would be like, oh, yeah, this is what I feel like he might dig. This is what I feel like he might dig. Even up until the last song that we we recorded or wrote, which was Straight, you know, that was one that I'd done. I feel like I made the beat for Straight, like, in, like, 2010 or something, and I'd re-stumbled upon it and I was like oh, like Sam and I know he would love this one. you know what I mean so there were like there was some some catering but then there was also just letting Sam and choose what he wants and really like one of the coolest things about it is I always end up having all these beasts that I'm like either I'm gonna use them or they're just gonna rust away and and die in the vaults because like I've, I've tried to shop them to so many people and no one ever chooses them 
and I love them, but you know, I love you guys, but but there's something wrong with you. You know what I mean? <laughs> and um, and Sandman not only like chose ninety percent of all those beats that like no one ever chose, but I always loved, and I I was always like, why won't someone choose these ones? But he like killed them. You know what I mean? And found a new life and, and new meaning and, and like gave them like a whole new color and, and palette, you know? So Walk By Faith was another one of those ones. A song like Walk By Faith, which is, you know, clearly spiritually centered. I'm not much of a praise and what's a uh, type. And the message and the, the feeling of that song was just so powerful, even to like someone that can be uh, generally pessimistic like myself. Not only do I love this joint, but I was like, yeah, Sam, like, this is like very good mantra song. I was like, how do you feel? Hear me out. How do you feel about like me also rapping the entire song with you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Which is, you know, what, what we ended up doing because I just, it felt like it's the verse from the Bible, which is like, what is it like, wherever like two or more gather in my name, there I am or some shit like that. I, w I went to Christian schools, a good amount of my school. And so I got a lot of it in there, but I always fuck them up. But it's something like that. And I, and I, I do believe there is a power to that. Maybe not as much Christian focus or any specific religion focus, but just the idea of energy and stuff. And I feel like there was something to that song where him just saying it himself makes it just feel like just his feelings. But having two people on there saying it makes it feel like this is something that we can all chant together to get through whatever the particular moment happens to be. You know? So far. The next song I have is from 2015. It's from the Innocent Country album that you did with Chris Keys, Innocent Country One. And the song is called Nothing Moves. Smooth it out. Smooth it out, y'all. Smooth it out. Smooth it out, y'all. Smooth it out. Smooth it out, y'all. Smooth it out. Still don't nothing move, but the movers nothing shake but the sick. They say the same fate that made a snake from a stick caused the great ball to spit. Handle the whip, meditation candles is lit Never slip like a man on his dean Dance for the green, I make the green I dance for you Camping in the mackerel sceneries Off the DMT Ronnie James Theo banging on the knee, y'all Level, my homie lit the beat I know the words of the song I wish Chris was here Now, so, the thing with Innocent Country 1, again, was uh, When um, me and Chris first started hanging out Chris will, will verify this, so I'm not just making this one. I'm not just making up. I was like, oh man, instant buddies. And Chris was like, this is just another rapper trying to use me for my studio. <laughs> 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 so, like, it took a long time for us to like end up on the same page as far as our, our relationship. So, early when Innocent Country One first started, which was probably let's say like toss out let's say like late 2011 maybe maybe 2012 was when we met early 2012 or something uh chris had uh, paid me to uh do an album with him me just really loving everything that chris does 
in my head, I was like, I was going to do that anyway. But then also like me being a rapper at that time, I like just got laid off from this like startup company and was like, okay, I'm going to start doing music full time. I was like, yes, I will take the money, Chris. <laughs> um, going back to my uh, terrible relationship with time, fast forward however many years and we finally wrap the album up so like the interesting thing about that album is like it, a lot of the songs blur like there's ones that i know there's like we wanted alive but a lot of the songs from innocent country one I, when they were made is really scattered in my brain which ones were made while i was still living in oakland which ones were made when i lived in la or which ones were made when i lived in brooklyn because the album was made in three different chapters of my life nothing moves i don't remember if that was an early one or a later one and that's why that's what i can really say about the making of that song it, it's it's shrouded in mystery it's got to be kind of crazy though because you, you shot a video for it you know mm -hmm. i don't know if it gets a lot of burn in in live sets or not but it's weird to live with something that is you know that you did it <laughs> yeah right isn't that strange isn't that strange? and that that's a and i don't know if like you get that with a lot of people that you talk to but that's that's definitely uh something i think about often and especially going into you know interviews and shows like this where i'm like there's like so many songs like there's 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 songs that the making of them just like sticks with me like you know what i mean i think like a lot of like everything's fine you know and just kind of that that whole process of uh seeing gene work you know in that capacity because you know we've known each other and we're together uh for so long but never i never got to see her in just full uh work process hip-hop gene you know we've done a lot of shows we made a lot of music and done a lot of different things together but i never got to see that process so like that sticks with me there's a lot of certain songs that really stick with me but it is the uh, interesting where there's a lot of songs like nothing moves where the sentiment behind it i remember but the uh, the actual process of making the song it just kind of gets lumped in with this the, the general idea of the album you know I mean, that happens to me when I will sometimes go back and revisit folders of, of tracks or songs or beats. Mm -hmm. Probably even more with instrumental music, it can be a little bit easier. It's almost easier to have them disembodied from their origin because sometimes you just look at it or I, I'll hear it. I was like, I don't even remember making this. Yeah. Like, I kind of can kind of, oh, that sounds like something I... I might do, you know, mm -hmm. but, but it's it's so weird that relationship that uh, the artists can have with their own work. And with production, I think that's, yeah, it's so much easier because it's, uh, uh, in a lot of cases, especially, I'm assuming, like, producers like us are, like, solitary production, you know, like, there's songs where... Every all the musicians uh, that I know get involved, and I send in that the, there's more of a process. But when it's just something that you're kind of just making on your own, and when you're making a bunch of beats too, if you're having one of those nights, it just all kind of bleeds together. Yeah, I think that's the uh, another thing that really makes songs uh, moments really stick with you. I think is also 
who else was involved or like if there's a story behind it and things like that. And sometimes when it's just like recorded by yourself in your bedroom, it just kind of gets lumped in with everything else that was recorded by yourself in your bedroom. You know, it's also strange to come to the realization that unless like Chris Keyes shows up with a cape on or someone that happened to be there when it was made shows up and it was like, yeah, no, I remember when you made that, this, this and that. Like, it'll just forever just be a song. And I say this a lot, like when I'm getting to like the end process of making an album, like here you're a teen now, you're almost done. And then like as once the album's done, it's like now you're an adult go out there and live your life. I think maybe that might play into sometimes my uh, my relationship with with the album post finishing it. It's like it's it's done. The moments that are there are there. A lot of the moments that I remember from an album usually aren't even the the process, the actual album process. It's usually like like you had mentioned earlier when you're like, uh, what things do you remember from that era of your life or that time in your life um, that usually stick with me more? Like I'm like, oh, well, I definitely remember those years. And somewhere within those years, nothing moved happened. You know what I mean? That's a strange one. Yeah, I love that song. And it's I'd like to know when it was made, you know? If anybody has more information on the song, text the number on your screen now. <laughs> yeah, and you got any tips and <laughs> already leads on how nothing moves with me. Song six. From your Shotgun and Sleek Rifle album 2011, and the song is called Another Blunt. All you non-smoking niggas can suck a dick and die Green room tinted gray, everybody fried Hit the corner store for ease to balance out my high Cruise the aisles, owners be like, hurry up and buy If you ain't never cheap, you geek, you need to try Why would you walk the streets when you could fly? Quelle eye roll out of bed with red eyes Your parents told you they never smoked, they dead lime Lemon ice, drop a can of perp, oh my Another entry into the canon of weed anthems doesn't ever feel like it's over trodden i guess if that's a word like yeah because there's not because you can't od on weed so there's never there's never too much i'm pretty sure that was another one of those ones that if i'm not if i'm not mistaken which i may be but let's just let's assume for the sake of the story that i'm not that i'm i, I loop that up pretty sure i remember writing that one within the the same hour or so of, of looping that up or at least like the 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 guts of it because i mean you know it's such a, a dumb song you know what i mean like all you non-smoking niggas because suck a dick and die great road titty gray everybody like like with each line i just i i would i was laughing so much more and more that it did like getting to the next line was like you know unwrapping a new gift you know it's just like they're like, oh well, I'm, I've already got, I've already started here. You know what I mean? Might as well, might as well just get dumber and dumber with each with each uh, bar. <laughs> so that, I always like those ones where, like, I don't know if it's amongst all artists or if you hear this a lot from people that you interview. But I definitely will say, like, amongst artists I work with, are like, you know, when I'm watching Jean write, because she's writing like a show, writing some bars or writing, whatever. There's always that, like when you're sitting next to someone that's writing and they do this and they're like, 
that you're like, oh yeah, you you, you just hit that that moment, you know, that when you say something that's just like either either it's so cold that you just kind of laugh to yourself, like, yeah, goddamn, I'm cold. Or it's just, you know, or it's so funny or whatever it is that, like, so, and that, writing that one, I just remember, like, each line, I just kept getting that feeling, and I was like, yeah, I can't stop, right? I just have to get this one done. Like, sometimes you're like, I just, I just got to finish this one. I got to, you know, whatever, for lack of something less graphic, I just got to, I got to reach the orgasm on this one. This is just, this is great. So I don't remember if, like, I did a rough first or if I, the only the first recording of it was the actual recording of it for the final recording of the album. But I did know I was looking forward to doing it live. Like, I was like, this is going to be such a blast to do live. And I have such a blast doing that one live that I still do it in every show <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's just it's fun it's a great it's just a great song and it doesn't matter if you smoke or don't smoke it's just it's just a great song yeah i just love that song when you look back because that album was released it'll be like 10 years ago this year later later this year damn do you often go back and revisit your old stuff or is it like once it's done it's sort of like out of your hands at that point if it strikes me and I'm like, I want to go back and listen to it. Or, you know, if anything, I do definitely go back and check out like certain songs. I think there is a certain amount of um, like they, they get narrowed down in a way to just a few songs, like the ones I do live, uh, the ones that tend to come up in conversation most often. Sometimes going back, listening to them can be a little intimidating in a, in a weird way. Because like, I remember going back and listening to By the Duffles. And being like, God damn, like, how, do, how do I write that one? <laughs> like, God damn, man, I, man, what, is going, what is happening to my pen? But so I, I think sometimes like, I don't go back and listen to like albums as much because I find myself like, feeling like, man, I want to go back there and, and do that again. I guess it's the same reason why I don't find myself listening to other people's albums. As, as much as I should, you know, like my friend's album. Because you don't want to necessarily compare. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like I'll find myself being like, oh man, like maybe I should go back and do another one like this. Now I have to stop myself and be like, no, you can't, you can't go back. Cause you can't, you can't be that same person that you were one. And when you, if you try to do that, it's noticeable. Kind of like contrived. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think maybe I try not to go back for that reason, but I don't know. I haven't really uh, broken down in my in my mind. Maybe that's a therapy session or something. But like, why I don't go back that often? But I do, I do, I do go back occasionally to check out certain ones. Certain times, a line will come to my head, and I'll be like, uh, I'll be like, that's a cold line, and then I'm like, that's your line. And I'll be like, what song is that? So I have to like go back and like search through a bunch of songs or like occasionally on like Twitter, someone will be like something, 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 something you know, uh, grandmother got a shoe. What do you do? Uh, quotation marks, uh, hyphen, Quale Chris. I'll be like, huh, when did I say that? You know what <laughs> I mean? So I have to go back and check them out. But, uh, you know. I don't like I don't want to say it in like a bit like it's some sort of like super artsy pretentious reason why I don't go back. I think it's just the albums is for me. And I guess this also plays into like remembering why songs are what how songs were made and things like that. Like the albums, like I'm a I really like an album. 
And I don't know if it's just been by faith or by like some sort of subconscious habit or something, but like usually getting to the end of an album is also like closing some sort of chapter and moving on in my life. And I think sometimes like with albums, I don't usually go back and listen to them in the same way that I don't dwell on the past as much as I should. Probably, I'd probably learn a lot from myself if I dwelled on the past a lot more, which is something I'm, or something I've been trying to do lately. You know, become a better person <laughs> and so on and so forth. Well, I mean, the great thing is that it's there for whenever you do choose to or choose not to. You know, there's no. I think I just don't usually go back because I'm always in a place where I'm thinking forward. You know, what I'm, what am I going to make next? What's happening now? But at the same time. I think because I was there and I went through all this stuff, like there's a lot of more weight that comes with like going back and listening to things. You know, you remember a lot of stuff maybe you don't want to remember for me and a a lot of albums. I see something or hear things in there. And I don't mean like the technical or actual like music making process, but things about myself and places that I was that I feelings that I long, you know, had to conquer, you know, habits and things like that. So there's a there's usually a person in those songs that I I don't usually hang out with anymore, you know, and I mean? <laughs> which, which is which is strange. But at, but at the same time, like and I, I say this all the time, like I think my albums if, if not age like wine, they don't age at all uh, to me. Like when, when I go back and listen to my old stuff, it sounds just it sounds like I like I'll listen to another. But oh, shit, this this album could come out today and still be called. You know, what I mean, like Shotgun and Sleep Rifle could come out today and no one would be like this was made a decade ago. You know what I'm saying? So you're saying Quelle Chris makes timeless music. I'm saying Quelle Chris makes timeless music. I am saying you heard it here first, folks. There's a weird, I don't know if hypocrisy is the right word, because I'm like, I can't go back and listen to it. But at the same time, I strongly suggest everyone go back and listen to it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't mind you hanging out with that that guy, whatever Quelle was doing at that time in his life. I just don't usually go back and hang out with him because, you know, Cause I know all of his all of his dark shit. Song seven. Last song is from 2020's Innocent Country 2, and the song is called Black Twitter. Feels a little bit a different slice of, of the personality that you, at least amongst the ones that we've gone through in this uh, in this random selection. But the album itself is kind of has a different vibe, right? The Innocent Country too. Yeah, it's um, it's more optimistic. The album is scattered in in, in acknowledgement and accountability, but also with verbal action to uh, change to the future and to better days, per se. You know, not just for me, but for all those around me and all those 
on the face of this here, uh, blue and green and brown and white earth as it is pictured in those pictures. Uh, so yeah, like black Twitter with Innocent Country 2, there was two major sessions or three, two of them being the first trip to Oakland where uh, the album was uh, started. Went there, Chris had a bunch of beats as normal. We sat around, played a bunch of beats. All the ones that Chris was like trying to skip or not play ended up being the ones I loved the most. And then, you know, started actually recording while there in Oakland, came back, uh, was listening through the, the tracks and I was actually supposed to be in the process of starting a whole different album. And then it was like, no, this is the album where we gotta, we gotta keep going with this. And then went back, did some more songs, and then the rest of it was recorded back in Brooklyn, kind of like the polishing and, and finishing up of all the different things that I wasn't able to finish while I was there. But for the most part, a lot of that, that album was just walking around Brooklyn with my headphones on and writing, 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 because I'm a, I'm a pace walker. I'm a pace, I'm a, I, I pace when I walk. I'm a pace writer. You know, I like to pace around, so uh, it's to everyone's sanity and benefit that I'm able to just go outside yeah, <laughs> instead of... Uh, doing the 500th lap in your living room. Right, yeah. instead of doing like Young Denzel and uh, that uh, Martin and whatever Marie movie where he was just pacing around the thing. Like, it was driving me crazy. While watching that scene, I don't know if you've seen the movie, but while watching that scene, I, I wanted to turn to gene so bad and be like look i'm so sorry because <laughs> i was watching that scene and it was driving me nuts and i was like oh you know who does that though me <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of that was written that way a lot of the album kind of seemed to come together very like serendipitously or like kind of like every piece that was supposed to be there for the album just happened you know what i mean like there wasn't much that I reached out for. It was just, it just was like a, a scene from like a sitcom where someone's sitting there like, man, I could really do for some pizza. And then someone comes to the door and goes, did someone order pizza? You know what I mean? Like the whole album was a lot of, did someone order pizza? And so uh, Black Twitter, I know it, it started with the, with the pick of Kermit sipping, you get daiquiri up on Black Twitter. Like that was, I think, the first line that came in my head, and then everything wrote itself. And then my brother, blood brother Moselle, when I just thought about the general idea of the song, he was the first person that came to my mind because there's there's no one that loves talking about uh, black people rapping and writing about black people and black culture and black growth and. Uh, black pain more than than Moselle. And that does it uh, so well, too. I'm not even saying that the front on him. He's just the culture and that those aspects of the culture are passion of his. So I was like, I can't do this song without having, you know, his voice and his perspective on it. And then as we're in that third portion of making the album, which was uh, recording with Dane Orr in Brooklyn, I'm there, Dane's there. Quentin Brock is there, and then there's like a ring, ring of the phone or a knock, knock on the door, and uh, it's uh, uh, Nelson Bandela, aka Norvis Jr. And I'm like, yo, like we're doing this song, 
you want to get in on it. Uh, so we're sitting and he's like, let me take this home with me. Let me, let me wrap this up. And he sends his part. I think I was trying to see if he just wanted to kind of accentuate the chorus, you know what I mean? Kind of do, do that uh, Nelson thing. He does it. Uh, you know, the way he sings that only he can do so well. But then, you know, being the, the boss he is, you know, he also sent a verse and I was like, oh, well, there you go. Like the song just took a whole different road and it's perfect. I feel like Black Twitter was probably one of the last three or so songs to get finished for the album. And yeah, so that's that's how that one came together. Innocent Country 2 is kind of closing a, a chapter. And like I said, there's some, in some strange way, each album tends to end, I tend to get done just as a life chapter closes. And, and this one was probably, you know, the most jarring, you know, being that it, the album came out at the cusp of the pandemic, you know what I mean? So it was like, I dusted my hands off and I was like, well, time to go start being famous. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then life was like, um, hold up. <laughs> yeah, I was like, no. But I, I think also it was a pretty interesting because I had this idea of what life was going to be after Innocent Country, which was going to, you know, the album talks a lot about change and a lot about growth and a lot about, you know, becoming that better person and being more in tune with family and being more in tune with friends. And I closed the door on it with that album being like, yep time to move into this next phase but i wasn't ready yet if i were to say there was some sort of uh, half empty half full from this pandemic was it, it forced me to like if i was to in context of me today right here talking to sean the last uh, eight months or something forced me to become the person that i thought i was when i finished that out which i think is really interesting when I go back because I was like I wanted all these things to come from the album and for like months you know off of the pandemic because I was supposed to go on like my official first like full tour just by myself as the lead like you know I was like it's time it's finally time I worked my entire career to reach that point you know so there was a lot of over the last few months for me being like this is just a fucking curse and in hindsight, I look back and I'm like, I wasn't ready for what I wanted. And now I'm ready, but it's not there. But I'm ready now when it comes. Now all I have to do is make an album better than Innocent Country 2 and, uh, <laughs> and finally claim my prize, which is world domination. I had a great time speaking with Quelle Chris, and I'd say that despite his disclaimer at the top of the episode about having a poor memory, he did a pretty great job at sharing the stories behind his songs. You can keep up with all of his releases by visiting quellechris.bandcamp.com. Check me out on social media at Sean Dammit. And if you like Can't Knock the Shuffle, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Do you have something to say that's maybe longer than a tweet or a comment? You can email me at can'tknocktheshuffle at gmail.com. Do you like the minutia of rap nerd trivia? Check out my other program, The Questions Hip Hop, by visiting questionshiphop.com. And finally, be sure that you're checking out all the other excellent programs on this here Stony Island Audio Network. It really is home to some of the best hip-hop podcasts in the game. Shout out to Open Mike Eagles, What It Happened Was, 
Dad Bod Rap Pod, Super Duty Tough Work with Blueprint, Fatherhoods, Softcore, and we've got some more cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Thank you for listening. Till next time. Thank you.